Hello, welcome. Thank you for joining me on First Responder Psychological Support. This is Season 1, Episode 12, Reflecting with Sarah. And I am Sarah Gura. I have a master's degree in counseling psychology. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. I'm an EMDR therapist, a yoga teacher, and my private practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, where I treat first responders. And again, today's topic is called Reflecting with Sarah because I want to go over the last 11 episodes of this podcast with you and share some ideas that I hope are helpful and putting it all together. Um, But first, of course, let's take a nice deep breath in, expanding the chest. And when you exhale, just allow yourself to release and relax the body. Course, you're more than welcome to take another nice deep breath and exhale on your own time and if you're able to close your eyes and just straighten the spine pull the shoulders down and away from the ears if you're sitting down really root down into your sit bones and if you're standing maybe spread the toes inside of your shoes or onto the floor and really ground yourself and prepare yourself to listen And I can't probably repeat it enough that as adults, we all need to transition between activities. We are often running 100 miles per hour, and my hope is that this is a quick and easy reminder that we all need to sort of close our eyes, check in with our body, and breathe. And of course, I can't wait to talk more about that and why I do it in future podcasts, but... But right now, season one, episode 12, again, is reflecting with Sarah to talk about what we've been going through on this podcast journey. And, you know, in the introduction of first responder behavioral health topics, we talked about suicide and we mentioned that you you are more likely to die by suicide than in a line of duty death. And that that really in and of itself is a reason why we have to talk about first responder behavioral health. We talked about many types of traumas, potentially traumatic events, vicarious traumas, post-traumatic stress disorder, and of course, complex trauma. And then the trauma of just not coping and being stuck in what I call repetition compulsion. But in that beginning podcast, we also talked about compassion fatigue, and we went through codependency patterns and behaviors where you might help rescue, save, and protect other people, but you don't do the same thing for yourself. And of course, that's always so concerning. And we also mentioned burnout, and we talked about how many of you were so proud to get into this career and very ambitious and very focused, able to concentrate to land that job, get through the first year. And then we find ourselves, you know, getting a sense of burnout through a 20 plus year long career. And then sometimes retiring, really feeling like something went wrong. And my goal for everyone is to leave with wisdom and integrity so that you are not feeling a sense of despair at all about your career and about your life. And another thing that we had covered in that introductory podcast was this idea of trauma bonding 
And with that, I was trying to emphasize how there's a lot of bonding and negativity and that we needed to change that to a peer support culture where we're listening, validating, relating to one another and making sure that we refer to a professional when it's necessary. And of course, we're going to need to start training more professionals or being willing to be interviewed by them or to do some research with them and let them do ride-alongs and introduce them into the job responsibilities of your career. Because in the next podcast, when I talk about first responder psychological support law and um, some of the legal issues as well as the policy issues, we'll see just how important that is. And with a history that runs through all these different fields of don't talk about it, don't cry about it, don't ask for help, uh, or something must be wrong with you, or maybe you're just not fit to do the job. You know, we have our work cut out for ourselves, I think, because that culture still is what we're competing against when we are trying to introduce a peer support culture. But I want to move on and keep recapping a little bit for you that when we don't deal with this stuff correctly, we see a lot of different signs and symptoms. Uh, Your sleep patterns are for shit. (laughs) There's no nice way to put it. For the most part, every one of you have had or do have trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, um, not getting good sleep or quality sleep, and struggling with what I would call the foundation to your physical and mental health. So I always like to emphasize the science of sleep and how it literally helps you to restore on a physical level, but also on a mental level. But you have to cycle through the different sleep cycles in order to do that. And when we're exposed to a lot of this negativity and we don't have a way to cope, what we see then, of course, is a lot of thinking errors or what I would call negative cognitions. And those become an internal dialogue that we start to believe and that we start to live by. And when that happens, when we believe in negative cognitions and we don't believe the positive cognitions, of course, the emotions are going to surface. And if you remember, I had mentioned that emotions were kind of subconscious hanging out in that limbic system until you experience a trigger of some kind and then those emotions become feelings and body sensations that for the most part most first responders love to ignore once again that's what I call being stoic and when you're stoic you're emotionally constipated and eventually you're going to blow that shit out everywhere and that's a concern so We want to address our emotions, feelings, and body sensations in a way that allows us to cope because there is definitely a difference between defense mechanisms and coping mechanisms and um, the preferred route, which are coping skills. And coping skills, of course, are designed to help the mind, the body, and the spirit. You want to be able to be mindful and align the head and heart knowledge You want to do coping activities to make sure you're purging the body of those stressful hormones and just the chemistry of being human when you're upset. And of course, if you don't want to be religious or spiritual, that's absolutely fine. But you'll always hear me talking about 
uh, spirituality on some level because when we align the head and heart knowledge and we live mindfully, that in itself to me is a spiritual thing. But if you don't take care of your sleep or the way that you think and you can't handle your own emotions and feelings, you are going to get physical symptoms or physically inflamed, as I talked about before. So those neurotransmitters are going to fire off in your brain. And if they're negative or inflammatory and you become someone who is constantly in a chronic state of inflammation, that's exactly what leads to disease. So in that podcast, you know, I talked about all the different medications sometimes that I hear that you're on, everything from a sleep aid to Excedrin for your migraines, Prilosec for the GERD, Imodium AD for the diarrhea, and whatever else that you're struggling with. And of course, the addiction behaviors that develop. And that's a huge part of the mind, body, and spirit problem when we get caught up in an addiction. And the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is connection. And when you are connected to the self, excuse me, and connected to others, that helps us treat addiction hugely. So putting it together again, if you don't sleep well and you're not thinking well and you're not managing the emotions well and you feel that physical disturbance, then of course socially you're not going to be um, at your best to say the least again. So socially I see things happening at the fire station or on a scene uh, on the Leo side too. I see relationships going to hell in a handbasket, parenting taking a back burner, and of course that's everyone's priority in their mind, but it may not be in their behavior. And we start to see the breakdown of a person's personal life. And so, of course, I don't expect the behavior to be much better then. So if you're not sleeping well, you're not thinking well, you're not managing emotions, your body is starting to have problems socially, you're not doing that great. And then we see those negative behaviors, the avoidance, for example, or the angry behaviors, or the behaviors that you regret and the ones that get you into trouble. Those are also signs and symptoms that this career or the way that you're functioning in the career is hazardous to you. And then the sixth element that I talked about in signs or symptoms, again, was that spiritual side where people are agnostic or atheist. They used to believe in God. They don't anymore. They used to go to church. They don't anymore. And they have a lot of existential questions and they're wondering what the purpose or meaning of life is. And I see them struggling with meaninglessness and death and time, things like that. So in the third podcast, we talked about making it safe. Somehow we have to make it safe. I mean, the introductory course, you know, through this podcast, I guess, podcast, not course, And the signs and symptoms to me was enough to say, this is why we have to make it safe. And I outlined 13 ways that your department could make it safe. We talked about a first responder behavioral health policy too. We talked about including psychology classes in your annual training plans and how important it is to talk about psychology as it's relevant to your career. And that every 
department should have a resource folder on their share drive that includes everything from your EAP company to chaplains and Safe Call Now, uh, Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance, any EMDR therapists, peer support teams, and things like that. And then I followed that up with the idea of how significantly important I believe it is for everyone to be very mindful. Again, just talking about the introduction, signs and symptoms, the fact that we don't make it safe when it comes to psychological injury in these careers. It's important to be very mindful. It's important to address how are you going to take care of yourself if there is no real outline for how to take care of yourself. So when I talk about that, as I mentioned earlier, I say that mindfulness is an acknowledgement that you have head knowledge and you have heart knowledge. And I always say that the ego is the brain and the heart is the self. And I talk about aligning them when the mind will lean. There are so many situations when you are faced with human illness, human death, human suffering, human stupidity, property destruction, and of course all the spotlights and the criticisms that you guys handle as a part of your career anyway. The mind is going to lean all the time and that's normal. I don't want you to think that you have to be perfect and that your mind should never lean. I just think that once you notice, if you can help train yourself and practice noticing, if you can love yourself enough to notice what's going on with yourself, um, you will be able to take better care of yourself. And that self-care is important, not selfish. So I think it's, again, important to know Mindfulness may be our first line of defense for a while until we are better at understanding psychological injuries in the first responder world. And noticing is a big deal word. It's not reacting. It's not doing. It's not thinking. It's noticing what's going on within you because of what's going on around you. And speaking of what's going on around you, I had a podcast called pain is inevitable and suffering is an option. And that's where I'm holding you responsible. And I'm telling you like, yes, pain's inevitable. Shit will hit the fan. But when you go to sleep at night, my hope is that you really love yourself, that you really love how you responded to that shit hitting the fan. Because in the end, I always say you only have two choices. You can be wise or you can be unwise, or you can be productive or you can be destructive. And for the people who are productive and wise when the shit hits the fan, they're doing better than the ones who are allowing themselves to react and judge and attach to, you know, what their ego has to say about every situation or person that they don't like. And when we get into those patterns, by the way, of really destructive behavior, that led me to do the next podcast on having is wanting, where I used Jungian psychology to talk to you about the shadow, which is your ego and how it convinces you that you love the terrible crap in your life. And how do we know that you love the terrible shit in your life? Because it just is on repeat. It keeps happening. And the common denominator is you, of course. And I talk about repetition compulsion, which is all about recreating a past moment or an entire past history. 
And the reason that we're driven to do that is because we think, well, if I recreate this terrible dynamic, maybe I can control it this time. And I try to emphasize to people there is no control and you cannot rewrite the past. So I always want to encourage people to live in the right now moment and to respond, not react in the right now moment. But you have to know that you're up against a very sly, sneaky ego that will convince you, ah, I can have a couple drinks, ah, I won't get caught in this affair, or mm, I'll gamble this and I'll probably double my money, or I'll be okay if I don't sleep. And what you end up doing is just creating a horrible life pattern for yourself. And this leads definitely to becoming very stressed out and then very overwhelmed. And before you know it, you are recreating the complex trauma of your childhood. And it feels like we're never getting free from the chaos. And while I don't know if we can ever get free from the chaos, we certainly can change the way we respond to it so that we have a more calm and soothing existence than what we have right now. So after I had talked about that, of course, I had to go into trauma. And I talked about trauma in terms of present day triggers that activate old points of disturbance, and that we often react in the present moment with the entire past backing up that reaction. And we talked about complex trauma and how those are very interwoven traumas that are repeated quite often, and we may not even notice them. That might just be when we say things like, oh, it is what it is, or that's just how life is, or that's what I thought everyone was going through. And I have to sometimes say, no, that's what you are going through because of what happened to you and what negative cognition you decided to believe in and own and attach to. And you started creating your own drama and trauma. So when you're creating your own drama, by the way, that's what I would call the trauma. The trauma of your existence comes from your complex trauma. And then I mentioned the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder and how that's a DSM diagnosable medical condition for when you're exposed to a life-threatening event and you get intrusive thoughts about it and you try to avoid it, but you end up getting negative cognitions or thoughts and feelings because of it. And that's even if you're trying to avoid the trauma and not being traumatized by it. And of course, there's some hyperarousal that comes with that. And I also mentioned that it seems that a lot of first responders have PTSD with delayed onset. So of course, the next podcast then was, well, how do we treat that? And how do we deal with that? And I ran you through the way that I would do an assessment and how we sometimes have to do some resource development or what I would call the work before the work, because not everyone is always ready uh, to jump right into complex trauma, trauma, and PTSD. We have to build up a way to understand ourselves, and we might need to learn how to state change even, which I'm not sure if I explicitly mentioned that, but in EMDR especially, we learn to state change, but what that means is that if you got yourself really upset, do you know how to bring yourself back down? Uh, we do this all the time. My quick example for a state change is let's say that we were all sitting at the firehouse and we were having lunch and the chief walked in the room 
at that moment when the chief walks in the room, everyone's state changes. And so while we do that all the time throughout our life, kind of subconsciously and maybe even consciously, we need to especially do that when we are really triggered. And I talked about using non-reaction, non-judgment, and non-attachment in order to accomplish that. And of course, I'm going to be going into that so much more. There's so many details, but we're planting the seeds in season one. So I then introduced the idea of EMDR and how that trauma therapy and process works according to the adaptive information model that Francine Shapiro developed many, many years ago. And of course, that when we treat trauma, it also includes being genuine, authentic, and very real, reality-based, very mindful. I'm not into resiliency. I'm not into, you know, reacting to anything, actually, when it comes to my life and treating other people. Uh, And so this is the way that I think has proven itself to work for me the, for the, in the best way and for the longest period of time over, you know, doing this since 2010. So I was going to say for almost um, over 11 years. So what about the very last podcast? You know, I decided, you know, I have to talk about some of the psychobiology or the science or the structures that are playing into everything that I'm talking about because I realize many of you, for maybe a lack of better concept, is uh, many of you are left-brained and you want the proof and you want the understanding and you want to know why. And so I have no problem explaining that, yes, information from the external world will flood your brainstem, it will take over the thalamus, activate your amygdala, it'll send a message through the hippocampus to your cingulate gyrus cortex and create all kinds of you know traumatic memory or keep you stuck in a trauma and PTSD. So when we talked about the limbic system, I was very much so understanding that we might need to know that this is a very human thing that happens to anybody. And a lot of times you guys refuse to promote yourself to human status. You think you're demoting yourself to human status and that it means you're vulnerable or that you are weak or you weren't fit to do the job or maybe you weren't good enough. And that's not what it's about at all. In fact, I think the better you understand your emotions, your feelings, the felt sense in your body, you will definitely become wiser, not only in your personal life, but on the job. And ultimately, this is all about all of the therapy that I do is about how you connect and or disconnect from yourself. And of course, how you connect or disconnect from yourself is going to be patterned and very reminiscent of your past, the far past and the recent past. And you replay that with the self of course, and you replay it with how you parent and you're going to replay that also with your spouses and your significant others too. And I want you to pay attention to your patterns and I want you to become a little more reflective of how you are doing because I want 
you to do life so it doesn't do you. I say that all of the time and especially for this podcast. But one thing I really want to talk about here for a moment so that you really capture it is what I said when I said you replay your history or you do repetition compulsion with the self and how you parent. And let's say you don't have kids, but even if you do have kids, how you parent yourself is significantly important assessment material for me. And sometimes I have to really encourage you to think about, maybe I'll say something like, picture your third grade picture, like the school picture that your mom maybe hung up on the wall or that you remember taking or seeing in the yearbook. And take a look at that little guy. He shows up more often than you think, and you may shut him down, ignore him, deny that he's there, minimize what he has to say. You might even numb him with a bunch of alcohol. And I want you to stop doing that, of course. I would rather you take good care of that little guy and love him very much, or her, and to realize that you are now responsible for treating him better than what your parents treated him like. And, you know, we try to stop transgenerational traumas from happening, but they are very powerful. And if you're not sure what that is, a transgenerational trauma can be seen in grandma and grandpa. They passed it down to mom and dad. And of course, then they passed it on to you. And the hope is that it stops with you. But not just stopping doing it to your kids if you had them, but stop doing it to yourself. Stop parenting yourself in this really toxic way. And instead, um, use love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, wisdom. But you're going to have to do that by starting with yourself. Or else you're just going to self-sabotage. And I sometimes talk about, you know, on the spectrum of client base for me. I work with the upper 15% of people. I work with very high-functioning clients. And I know you're not going to be like the lower 15%, someone who would do heroin, engage in criminal activity, maybe even be arrested, sit in jail or prison, um, or just have a a pretty awful or impoverished life. The upper 15% way is tricky, though, because you will say, well, I'm not that shitball under the bridge drunk making nothing of myself. But one thing that high-functioning upper 15% people do is they really hurt themselves by not getting good sleep. They don't keep their exercise routine. They sabotage their relationships. They're toxic in their relationships. They'll play video games for hours. They may have affairs or other sex addiction behaviors. They can engage in gambling. They might do workaholicism. They could be very controlling, even OCD-like. Um, how someone get gets written up at work and what their injury history also can tell me so much about how they're functioning. Uh, and, of course, to mention also any addiction behaviors in the drug and alcohol section of dysfunction. So... That's what we're facing in the first responder world, and it's very easy to get lost. It's easy to wake up 30 to 35 years old and be like, whoa, (laughs) who am I, and why did I choose this? And maybe you thought you were going to be okay, but you're noticing that you're not, and then at some point, your body will be the second alarm to that, 
if it's not doing it already. And you're going to find yourself going from what you would have called strong and stoic to feeling in, in maybe in an abrupt fashion like everything's caving in and you are an emotional person or there are consequences that you don't want to deal with anymore. And this is why I would so rather it be your choice. I would rather you choose to notice the felt sense in your body and the needs, wants, and preferences that you do have instead of ignoring it until this abrupt change happens within you and you feel very disoriented. Which, by the way, any change is going to disorient people. I just would rather you choose the change instead of life forcing you to change. Because that disorientation is very difficult, but a little bit easier when it's your choice. When you feel very willing, uh, we increase our ability. And then that's when we can transition and even adjust until the shit hits the fan again. Because it will. Because pain is inevitable. But again, your suffering is an option. Um, through all that, through your entire life, it's it's got to be that the baseline for yourself is that you do love yourself and that you do love yourself at the end of each day, even if the shit hit the fan. Um, we may not like what has happened, but it is so significantly important and a very powerful thing to love yourself and how you handle things. But I also want to talk about the idea that no job is worth your sanity, no career and no vocation is worth your sanity or your personal relationships. And some of you still just don't understand that because you're trying to prove something at work. And at the end of the day, the relationship with self, your spouse, your kids, that's the priority. That's the front burner and work must be the back burner. And some douchebags out there who would complain about a wet dream I swear to God, there are some really negative people out there. Um, they will try to convince you otherwise because it serves their ego or it serves their mission. And I really just want you to protect your mental health, protect your physical health, and notice how much better you do when you follow that self-care plan. And, you know, next season I will have some interviews lined up. I already have a few with some other professionals that are working in the first responder world. So we'll be talking to a lawyer and another psychology professional or two to help emphasize what the current state of the union is with first responder mental health and where maybe we hope to go and some of the barriers that we see in trying to achieve that. And certainly I've seen so many barriers over the last 10 plus going, you know, 11 years. So I also really want to focus in the next season on your relationships and we'll be starting with relationship to self and we'll be bringing in other ideas through attachment theory and uh, relationships with others, but I really want you to maybe take some time to reflect on if you were listening to this entire podcast, the information presented and what it might mean for you personally. And there's a part of me that's very aware that I am a role model for imperfection because I know perfection doesn't exist. It's a unicorn. And I myself want to practice what I preach and just be human. 
but even if this information wasn't as clear as I wanted it to be or it didn't answer all of the questions that you may have had, I think there's enough here for you to, again, turn inward and be a little bit more introspective about yourself and see if that, you know, plants a seed. That's my hope, right? That we're planting a seed in season one to really start thinking about all of this stuff but also that self-care is important when it comes to first responder careers. And self-care is not selfish. And love, gratitude, kindness, compassion, and wisdom might sound like a kumbaya song, you know, or an unrealistic lifestyle. But once you have it in your life, you'll never want to be without it. And some people say, well, it's so hard to be happy, Sarah. But I want to remind you, it's much more difficult to be anxious. It is more difficult to be depressed. It's more difficult to have an addiction or a secret or a trauma that you're trying to deal with all by yourself. So with that said, thank you so much for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. This ends episode 12, 12 of 12 in season one. And again, I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois. And as always, do life so it doesn't do you. Take good care and, of course, stay safe.